You do what you want to do. You do what you can. But I love you, Suzanne. Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before. He's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me once again this week, currently in the process of disrobing, make yourself at home, Mark McGrath, the singer of Sugar Ray and the host of Mark McGrath's 120, Herb Weekends on the 90s on 9, right here on Sirius XM. What's up, Mr. Tully? Uh, I apologize for my lack of professionalism right there. I should have taken my sweatshirt off before we started the show, but hey, man. If at any point the mood strikes you, shirt might any, come off. Any article. I might get my Burt Kreischer on. <laughs> shirt may come off and belly will be exposed, my friend. Hey, who's the guy that did the intro on your intro? I don't know his name, but- I don't know his name either. <laughs> there you go. The you got funny, him back. The funny thing is that he is, uh, I think at this point, further along in his stand-up career than I am in mine. So at that point, I'm doing a little show in the belly room at the at the comedy store, the little room there, and he's like one of the door guys, and they let him go up and do a few the minutes, which MC. is one of the great things about the the comedy store is that they actively give groom, a shot, groove the, the next generation. There's a uh, Mark Maron was a door guy at the Imagine comedy that. store. I think lots and lots of them were people that you would know were. And so he did his little thing, and and um, and, and I recently went to a show in the main room, and he was on the main stage. Amazing. He's still not Bill Burr. No, but he's, but he's cult of, he might he's be getting there. John Carapp- Garoppolo. What's his name? Carapolo. It's, it's pronounced Janine. No, not Janine Garoppolo. <laughs> no, there's jo- John John Capullo. There's a baseball hat. John. He's a funny guy. Hey, I was uh, getting up there one day, and John Capullo helped me. Nobody. Bueller, Bueller. Anyway, for a guy but, for a guy who's very active in stand up comedy, I know nothing very little. It's about stand up comedy. But it's uh, my ace in the hole. It's, it's it's got me this far in radio, to be well, honest. God bless you. And look at you, you're a legend in radio. So you'll be a legend knowing, soon on stage. Knowing a lot about music, uh and taking music very seriously was did not aid my music. Does that integrate into your comedy at all? Do you ever like go, music? Hey, I remember like you know is there any uh, do you have musical bits on in your comedy I did write a song this is really embarrassing I've never performed it because I would never like bring an acoustic guitar with me but prop guy so <laughs> I have uh, I'm such a hater and I, I, I hate with love but when Johnny Cash had his big comeback and everyone was just like, oh, it's just so deep. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, do you think he recorded four albums last month? It's a fucking fun factory. Ruben teaches him the words and he plays it. And, and so I put together a medley of Johnny Cash just performing like every 90s hit. That is it's amazing. Like, it's like free. That, it's, that's come on, dude. That's un- that's untouchable, man. I feel like, yeah. like you could just do. I have this like A minor chord progression. Totally. I just did every single '90s. You you may have been in there for all I know. Oh, that's like, I'm sure I was. I probably had me. fly in there. Come on, man. Uh, I know it's like you think Johnny Cash ever heard Nine Inch Nails before Rick Rubin came in and said, "You're recording this." 
Yeah, I think that that I'm such a fucking hater. I think that that music video contributed a lot to the success of the songs. I think it filled in a lot. Oh, it's of- very powerful. The imagery in that is, is is amazing. Yeah, you know, and also the story of Johnny Cash told through that song. I mean, it's a, it was a brilliant idea by Rick Rubin. If you want to know the genius of Rick Rubin, it's that Rick Rubin is not a musician. I know because I've worked with Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin doesn't go, hey, go to an A chord here, or hey, the drum should be at more of a tom approach than a... Rick Rubin goes, I don't like that, or I like that. Right. And that's and, it. And, and this flies. That's what it. What a country. Imagine, well, Puffy does the same thing. He goes, I, but if, you, if you're a good enough tastemaker, you can become a producer. Like, if you, if, if you can sort of anticipate and have your pulse on the public taste, well, then you're a producer. Rick Rubin literally goes, I don't like that. I don't like that. He said it to Tom Petty. He'll say it to wh- whoever. And because this massive trust in his, you know, his taste, yeah. he, that's how he gets by. But he couldn't pick up a guitar and play it if he had to. Uh, that is fine. Is there ever, I don't like that, perhaps if it was a bit more fill in the blank. There isn't even a, uh, hey, I think it should be more like of a samba bass. It says, no, yes. Because we, we, we started our, our self-titled record in 2001. We wanted to work with Rick Rubin because I love Rick Rubin. Yeah. I think he's incredibly talented. And I just love him as a human being, too. And when we went with him, we quickly discovered that this isn't going to help. We needed to sort of be told where to go with the music. Yeah. And we gave him When It's Over, which became a hit. And he goes, I don't like that. I'm like, well, we like that. And this is our only shot on this record. And we're riding that one. So it's interesting how, how uh, you know certain producers work with other people. You know, yeah. Tom Petty can be told, I don't like that. He's got 95 songs in his back pocket. You know, we'd write, we'd write twelve songs, and all twelve would be on the record. Yeah, you know? right. I, I I I get that. I mean, it worked for. There's different kinds of artists. Metallica doesn't have a bunch of extra tracks no. hanging around because exactly. of the nature of how they constructed them and stuff. And I always find it kind of weird when people write that many songs. You, nobody's ever written a hundred good songs in a year. And no. Don't you just know? Because personally, to me, that's as a songwriter, a hobbyist. That's like my thing. Is if I don't. If I don't care to finish it, it wasn't very good in the first place. Probably a good idea not you didn't finish it. Yeah. You know? Uh, But I always get surprised when I hear, yeah, we've got 40 new songs for the new record. I go, well, I'm sure 20, 35 suck. What was the point? Yeah, Yeah. that's my point, you know? So where's the good good one? It's interesting. I guess it's a need to hear yourself write music. But like we said, there's different approaches to writing music, and that's why we're here talking about it. Right. I know ACDC parted ways with... Rick Rubin somewhere like around 2000 because they had that same reaction of we know when it's good dick yeah I know (laughs) (laughs) but if your record is really you know if you have a good record saying what's good like Rick does you know Rick Rick's look Rick predicted hip hop yeah Rick discovered LL Cool J you know, Rick put Run DMC and the Beastie Boys together. Rick put Al Smith, and Rick is responsible for rap rock. What? Um, which is not an entirely bad thing. No, but it's just look. If he's responsible for Rage Against the Machine, well, he's responsible for Limp Bizkit as he is Rage Against the Machine. So. Okay, let's talk about discovering Rage Against the Machine. I'm always curious yes. what this means because were there a lot of people going, no, 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 this is absolute garbage. Uh, or this will not be on my label, or my name is not Ahmed Artigan, or right. whatever the hell that guy's name is. Like. The uh, I, Rage Against the Machine is very far outside of the kind of music I tend to listen to, and um, it was very, very far away from the stuff I was listening to when it came out. And that's when you're a teen, and it's your tribe. And I only listen to straight English men who pretend they're gay. Right. That's what I listen to. <laughs> exactly. So get the fuck out of here with that stuff. And I remember the girl I was dating going over her friend's house and him just playing Rage Against the Machine. And I was like, what? 
the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. I need to own this album. The funny thing, he played two albums, that and a band called Peace, Love, and Pitbulls. And I remember loving both of them. And I recently, because of Spotify, Peace, Love, and Pitbulls. went back and listened to it. I was like, God, this was garbage. What but label were they on? I have no idea. I have no idea. Network. Or... Uh, I'll say an embarrassing thing. My, my buddy McGee and I were in Newport Beach, and we, we heard we got the Rage Against the Machine CD. We bought it. We put it on half, halfway through the first song and threw it out of McGee's convertible BMW. We were we thought it was horrible. Really? Now, I'll tell you why. We we didn't like white guys rapping. This is a long time ago, and this is just sort of like, we didn't, you know, it just it sounded, and we knew Zach from uh, growing up in Orange County. He went to uh, University High School. We went to uh, Crowder Merle High School. We were all in the same division, so I, uh, I knew of him. And we used to break dance together at University of California, Irvine. Just to show, so we kind of knew him. I go, he's doing this whole like, yo, man. We're like, we just thought it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Then I saw them open for House of Pain at Santa Monica Civic, and my wig was blown back. It's one of the best live shows I've ever seen. And the live show helped me get it, you know. But I don't think you look at Rage Against Machine and call them a rap rock band. I don't think they want to be called that, but they are absolutely a rap rock band. They're the prototypical. They're the like only respectable one, right? But I think they've I think they've graduated into classic rock. Meaning, I put them with Stone Temple Pilots. I wouldn't be surprised to hear Killing a Name with Led Zeppelin, you know, back no. to back. But. I mean, they are still a rap rock band. There's no two ways about it. I do think there's okay. So two points. I, I have the 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 I had the Rage demos, and one of them literally was used as one of the album tracks. So it wasn't like oh, there's something here. Like right. the Rage demos just sound like l- low budget versions of the album. What does it mean to discover that band when most people? Because here's what you did. You knew, you could see the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain because you knew Zach from before he had arrived at his persona. But, but have, also, yeah. just, sorry to interrupt you, also Vanilla Ice had just, he was in 1990. So mm-hmm. white guy rapping, third base came out with, you know, Pop Goes the Weasel, like making fun of white guys who weren't really from the culture and stuff. Yeah. So there was a real sort of backlash against any white guy rapping. Okay, here's a dumb question. So Zach's white? Well... I don't no. know what he. I don't it, know what he is. No, no, he's he's certainly not. He's certainly multicultural. Yeah, yeah, let, yeah. Let's say that. Uh, but the he, wasn't, ba- he wasn't a black dude. No, but he he came up sort of like in, in Orange County. I think he was a surfer. He was in a, a yeah. hardcore punk rock band before. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't read as a cultural sort of beacon of uh, of of all that was cultural. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I I'm understand. I'm trying to skate around this, and and uh, but I, I looked at them as as a, as a white rock band. I got you. I got you. See, I, I think the fact that you knew him had a lot to do with that. I've never been able to take the band um, Interpol seriously, and they've been—they're just so critically acclaimed. Right. Everybody loves them. Two reasons: I didn't like Joy Division, so mm-hmm. why do I need Interpol? Secondly, because I was friends with friends of theirs, and I saw them playing. You saw the whole. I saw them the evolution and when, what it used to be, and when the singer was still nervous to be on stage, and and when they were just kids doing like a little goth dress-up thing. Right. And so I've I've never been able to hear the finished product without just hearing you. You right. knew. You knew the Zach before he became the Zach that was ready for his close-up. And I will qualify this. We, we were not friends of any sort. You know, yeah. we I'd see him skating, and I was some breakdancing at UCI. So I, there was only so many people breakdancing back there in the early 80s. Do you know what I'm saying? So you kind of get to know, especially people of your age. Yeah. Uh, so I just kind of, and then he went away. I hadn't seen him for years. And then he was in Rage Dance Machine. And McGee goes, you know, that's the guy that used to breakdance. Like, oh my God, you know? But it had nothing to do with Zach. It just... A guy rapping to rock music, then it just it it, it wasn't working for me. That yeah. that particular thing didn't work. It's like the first time you you hear. Sometimes you hear things and you hate them so much you love them. Like the first time I heard that Crash Test Dummy song, mm-hmm, 
I hated it. And then a week later, I still hated it. No, I, I, I loved it, you know? I fucking love that album. No, it's, it's a great song. I'll, I'll die on that hill. You even go you even go deep. You go into the follow-up singles on that, too. You, you go super deep. So anyway, it took me a while to figure out why Rage uh-huh. is so great. And now that day, that that's one of the best debut records of all time to me. Yeah. You know, of all time. Yeah, I put them more in- Top the Ze- to bottom. I, I put them more in the Zeppelin pile than the STP pile. There's, uh, mm. But STP, I put with Zeppelin. I'm talking- They got they they got into the classic rock pantheon being a rap rock band. Now, if you call- I don't think Tom Morello calls Rage Against Machine a rap rock band. I don't think he does. Now I know. Well, Because it just it sort of demystifies what how great Rage is. Or it's sort of like- It's sort of a black eye of a little bit of what it became rap rock. You know? uh, because what it became and also what Rage became. There's. I don't think you could possibly argue that um, Bomb Track is is rap rock but what he was doing even at times on the first album wasn't really it was obviously heavily hip hop influenced but it was he wasn't really rapping well it's more it's more public enemy than than it is yeah but he's from a hardcore background so there's some of that too you know what I mean but there's a yeah yeah come on yeah like yo check out the bomb track yo like that was in there yes and the second we heard that coming from Newport Beach California we were all hey dude what's up bro we were out yeah we were out <laughs> we were out immediately uh, so it has been a while since we discussed One Hit Wonders ah. and their uh, failed follow-up singles. I'm going to broaden the mandate of this episode a tiny little bit. Some of these are songs that may have enjoyed some uh, some modest success. Some of these are songs that weren't necessarily the immediate follow-up of the next most noteworthy song by an artist within the spirit of of the thing. Gotcha. But um, we're still doing giant one-hit wonder giant and then the one-hit wonders and then another song by the same, same act band. that you may recall but most people probably uh would not. I will get the ball rolling if this will play with this. Oh yeah. Beautiful. Dexies. Yes. This is Dexies. This is a hit runners. to me. I'll tell you what it did. I forgot how much I love this song. Celtic Soul Brothers by uh, Dexy's Midnight Runner. Uh, this is better than Come On Eileen to me. To me. See, this is a good band. Like you could just hear this Great. is musicianship, an identifiable sound. Mm-hmm. That's you know exactly who that is, even if you've never heard it before. It's the vocal inflection, and it's the uh, uh, the, the, the violin and right. the folk instruments that they the use. The Mumford and Son isms before Mumford and Sons. It almost is surprising they didn't <clears throat> manage to have more hits. Also, I didn't realize they had. Um, I think a few albums in the UK, they were up and running as um, a, uh, an enterprise on a smaller level a f- for a while a before they had band. the hit. So by the time they had the hit, I mean, they were- They were ready to to blow up. They were a working band. And Kevin Rowland, who was the lead singer of that, was part of the punk rock movement in that. So he was kind of a face, if you will, mm-hmm. in that scene. So they were ready to receive their one hit wonder when it came. Yeah. Now, I will say this. In the UK, they had a bunch of hits. Yes, that, that is true. They had a bunch of top 10s, top 20s. That is true. And uh, I still believe today, they could put Dexies together and play arenas there. There's no sort of like uh, churro festival for them. There's a <laughs> that sugar, sugar Ray is currently on. Uh, no, they, they are they're still revered. They could get together the way a Spandau Ballet could and and still play. You know, at least theaters. You know, the O2. Yeah, the O2. Right. No, song, he went way, through a, an interesting sort of solo. Um, uh, 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 part of his career in the early 2000s, late 90s, where he came out in drag. He he dressed in drag. If you looked at, if you put up Kevin Rowland Roll, dressed in drag, mm-hmm. he's in a beautiful pink sort of uh, number there, and uh, at G string as well. 
Um, and now was that that so, kind of that, put off a few folks? Is, is, is was, it was just the record cover? Put Kevin Rowland, uh, R O W L A N D drag, yeah. and hopefully that'll come up and you'll see. Now was that an image or was that? Oh, him? it was him feeling himself. This is me. Hope you like it. Gotcha. Uh, and it was it was all you know. We were touring quite a bit in the UK and, and oh, Europe I say yeah. That's um, do you see it? Yeah. Boy, the the top and the bottom are. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. And so, two very different stories. Okay. Yeah, that is not a oh ironic. That's not. That's this is. I feel pretty. No, it's the album. It's the album is actually called My Beauty. Exactly. Right. And and so that was him. Uh, you know, just doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if he still does that or if that's his thing. But interesting artist, Kevin, to say the least. Th- that song, by the way, as far as I can tell, um, it's so hard with this shit. Even getting facts from Wikipedia, a lot of the facts are few and far between, owing to the song's very uh, uh, lack of success. Um, Celtic Soul Brothers, the follow-up to Come and Eileen, peaked at number 86. In the U.S. In the U.S. Yeah, I think yeah. it was top 10 in the U.K. If, if I, if, if, I, I would remember, think but, so. But I'll say this, too. and I, I've said this to you, and I've qualified myself in terms of what are singles and what are hits in my brain. Mm-hmm. K-Rock played the hell out of that song. Yes, you've mentioned that about a number of Right, a, a few It makes of sense. It's good. It's great. It's yeah. great. And so it's certainly, and they were trying to break, you know, Dexies and all that. And Dexies, they were right in the K-Rock sort of wheelhouse of, you know, Duran Duran, Culture Club, Psychedelic First, all these bands that became bigger later. They were sort of new bands and new artists that K-Rock, were, K-Rock was breaking back then. I think it's, uh, it's only happened a, a couple of times that I can think of where the pop acts could be the subversive act i think it's hard for a lot of people to think that the band with the pop hooks and the good looking singer and drum machines and synths and what have you could be the punk ones what, right but that was what it was is we did classic rock and then we did progressive rock and then we did punk rock and now how are we going to rebel against that a lot of times it was this electro it shit. went to pretty pop synth makeup yeah. uh you know new romantic big long women's hairdos with blouses on and that yeah. kind of thing and it ended up popping but those people were coming from they, there was no guarantee when you started duran duran that that was a surefire path to not success. at all and duran duran played with punk rock gigs uh, bands when they started because punk rock was happening and they were the new punk rock right do you know what i'm saying yeah and it was sort of reactive to punk punk is dirty spitting all this to what we want to be pretty and we want to we want to fly on the concord and we want to drink champagne yeah that was sort of their, yeah, their we anti- like elizabeth taylor exactly right. there was the anti-movement to the movement <laughs> and we want to write melodic good songs that people actually like yeah yeah, and our bass player can actually play. There you go. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah. One of the most underrated bass players of all time, John he's very, Taylor. He's very good. Full funk and, and Nile Rodgers yeah. approved. Simon LeBond's a terrible singer. Here's uh, I, You know, that's... Uh, I don't know. Those are fighting words for me. I mean, skin trade and some of those notorious... I don't know. I'm, I'm into, I like Simon a lot. They're yeah, really you, nice if, guys, too. I'm, I don't have a problem with Duran Duran. Not my favorite band, but uh, his. if you're going to croon, you got to really have something. And you make me feel alive. Yeah. No, like, I agree. Oof, and like boy. a birthday in a pretty view will always go down as one of the all-time lyrics of all time but they they were my high school experience yeah. so they mean a lot more to me yeah, than i you. get it i get it uh okay this one i would be impressed if you can uh name this one hit wonders failed follow-up single because although the initial hit was a big hit mm-hmm. it's uh it, 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 it sounds it, nothing like the follow-up it just it's mostly a forgotten song at this point. We're starting to scratch and scrape We're the bottom down. of the yeah. barrel yeah. Of, <laughs> <laughs> of these. This might be the last one of these, so... Is this going to be Matthew Wilder? Wow! Matthew Wilder? Follow up well to... Well done! Ain't nothing going to break a master ad. This is... Exactly. I, You know... I, <laughs> that's pretty good. I'm, I'm stoked on myself. Now, Matthew Wilder, 
okay. studio musician. Yes, that is correct. That decided, you know, wrote, ain't nothing going to break a monster. Yeah. I'm walking in a wall back down. Big hit, gigantic. Sort of number, reggae. Number five. Number five. Yeah. yeah. Big reggae feel to it. And he wrote that and said, I'm feeling this tune. I think I can do it myself. Now, the reason why I just, people probably think I'm full of shit that I just got that. You no, know what you, I mean? You, you legitimately but, knew that. And I will tell you that Sugar A is working on a new record. Mm-hmm. And we're covering we're covering a few songs. So we looked at Matthew Wilder's Ain't Nothing Gonna Break a Monster Head. And we actually tracked it and recorded it. Ah, yeah, yeah, but that's when I heard the voice immediately. I went, I don't recognize the song, but I recognize the voice. Okay. You know, so I, that's how I got that one in particular. But uh, also the, dun, 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 the production of that. You, we've talked about this before. Dated production, man, will just take you right out of listenability. You know, Not that, for me, but I know what you mean. No, but that has zero lay. That sounds like the backdrop to Beverly Hills Cop 5 that got released straight to video that Eddie Murphy wasn't even in background vocals. I mean, background soundtrack, like to a car chase scene, you know? Yeah, but that never ruins it for me. I'll give you an example. Um, as I've become an adult, I've been able to appreciate Michael McDonald. I hated him when I was a kid. And his last big hit was um, from the Running Scared soundtrack, the Billy Crystal movie. Uh-huh. Was it? Is it Cry Sweet Freedom? Cry Sweet Freedom. We'll be together. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's another impression everybody can do. <laughs> um, or shouldn't do it, it does. That song, if you listen to it with you know the perspective of time now, you can imagine an acoustic band doing that. And you I would just be, said Michael McDonald, dude. That's a beautiful song. I wouldn't. Be now, su- those are fighting words to me. I wouldn't be surprised if he still performs it live. Oh, and without then, a doubt. And then he's got a band that's doing. It makes this really nice performance. Well, that was recorded for a Hollywood movie soundtrack yep. in 1986 or 1987, and it has all the shitty fake maraca, yep. bells and whistles, drum machine, and percussion. And to me, the production doesn't take me out of it at all. I actually like the specificity of the song is universal. The performance is universal. The production just roots it to a time and a time for which I have a lot of nostalgia. But what, but what does that have that Matthew Wilder doesn't have? Quality? That, Michael McDonald's voice. In Michael McDonald's song. Arguably one of the greatest, you know, uh, blue-eyed soul voices ever. Mm-hmm. You know, you could go Daryl Hall, you go Michael McDonald. I mean, you know, so uh, he gave a second life and career to the Doobie Brothers, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're talking about a once-in-a-lifetime voice, a guy that can sing anything. So Michael McDonald I, singing this Matthew Wilder song still sucks. I, you're right. Yeah, I just, you know what? You just you just countered my whole argument. I've got nothing. Cry, uh, cry <laughs> Sweet Freedom has like a, I can always tell. Medley. Yeah, the I know, thing. I know enough to know what I don't know and there's there's piano shit and I'm like those aren't guitar chords right there was so much like jazz and shit that made its way into the more sophisticated um, 80s. 80s pop than, You're right. than there ever really was before or since you're right, and it gets it doesn't get a lot of credit because the the visual was so cheesy to the eighties and the drum machines, the, the stuff, drum that, machi- the stuff yeah, that smacks you in the face. Yeah, is- the Simmons drum machines really date you radically, but mm-hmm. some of those songs are such. I mean, they're great songs. Like you say, you take an acoustic guitar and you play "Shine," uh, uh, "Sweet Freedom" song. Have Michael McDonald just playing acoustic? You'd be you'd hearing "Stairway to Heaven." Right, 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 right. Sort of. You will close enough. <laughs> Point well taken. <laughs> I think you will have no doubt identifying this. See, this is when I don't get them right. This artist, I, I, I actually think that you might know the song. It was, well, let me play it, and yeah. then I'll explain the story. It's 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 sort of interesting. Eddie Grant. Mm-hmm. Do you know the song? I do. It, it was on a movie. It was in a movie. Almost. It's a fire. 
was written for a movie, didn't end up getting used in the movie. Was it a weekend at Bernie's? The movie? Artemis! I'm romancing the stone. Someone recorded this for the movie. Maybe. Yeah, right? This wasn't in the movie? Uh, not according to Wikipedia. I'm romancing the stone. Was it, I like it, it. This, this, this to me was a hit. I'm very familiar with this song. I and, definitely know it as well. I'll look it up. Hold on. What was it in the song and the movie, but just not the soundtrack? Do you know what I'm saying? I know what you mean. I read that it was recorded for the movie and ended up getting cut from the movie, but I could certainly be wrong. Why do I know that so well? Why do I know a follow know, up right? to Eddie Grant's, you know, Electric Avenue so well? Those hand claps, dude. This is reggae, by the way, people. This is 80s reggae. Yeah, this is what passed for reggae. <laughs> Yeah, some of the uh, percussion on this is actually literally the noise of Bob Marley rolling over in his grave. You get the Steve Lukather solo in there with the... Uh, it might well be, huh? I, I know it, dude. He was doing them all back then. Okay, it's a song written, recorded, and produced by Eddie Grant, who released it from his 84 album Going Broke. It was intended for the feature film with the same name. Uh, in fact, it was announced by Casey Kasem on America Top 40's title song to the movie, but ultimately it was not used, though kips, clips from the film appeared in the song's music video. That's it. That's it. So here's the thing. With the yes. success of the movie, they right. try to capitalize on that that song and probably through clips of the movie. I've seen this. This was I, I remember the video to this. I remember Michael Douglas running around with, um, oh, what was her name? Who, who, who was in Ransom Stone? Uh, uh, Kathleen Turner. Kathleen Turner, exactly. Right. So I, I remember like them, them, them uh, driving in Jeeps. I, I remember this very well. And yet it stalled at number 26. Stalling is a, uh, you know, that's that's all that's all relative. Because I think it got a lot of run on MTV. Like I said, I feel like that was a hit. This yeah. is what you were saying. Some could be more hits than others, you know? Oh, I think this has come up before. You've mentioned the K-Rock thing quite a bit. Yeah. That songs that got played on K-Rock that weren't necessarily successful elsewhere. There were also the songs that, got played on MTV. Exactly. That to all the rest, to, and it's because I didn't have MTV, so to me, right. they were nothing. You know, oh, Pop Goes the World was a number one Pop song to people at MTV. Right. It's for some reason, I don't know why that didn't really hit on radio. It just, it didn't. It Well, I who knows? Who knows? But but the interesting about the whole K-Rock phenomenon, I always go back to uh, Depeche Mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Depeche Mode would play um, Irving Plaza if they were lucky in New York back in the 80s, if they're lucky. They came to L.A. and played the Rose Bowl. <laughs> no, no, that is what that's what K-Rock did. And that, that is not me exaggerating that. That actually happened. Yeah. And the reason why I know about it is because, you know, they had their production for their tour and then they had to go put a show on at the Rose Bowl. So that you know that day they had to rent you know you know these big giant you know uh, screens and just right. and deal with the Rose Bowl Give me crowd. fifty dozen black roses stacked. right exactly immediately and we need a hundred thousand t-shirts here immediately so I remember just the the, the discrepancy between putting on a show at Irving Plaza with one bus and maybe a van to having eight trucks and the whole thing so it was that was a crazy 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 phenomena I think uh, I don't know I feel like Morrissey is kind of there very similar there now um, there there've always been bands that are foreign that are big in cities yeah. that can't sell anything out away from the cities. or It's probably going away. As- I think it's gone away now. I mean, Depeche Mode plays arenas everywhere now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know. But, uh, like, if you're a band that breaks big, if you're, like, the cool... Like, Daft Punk. What does... Yeah. Oh, Daft Punk got really big. Bad example. But, like, Morrissey still plays... But what does Daft Punk do in Iowa? You know what right, I mean? Do right. they play a theater? They play arenas. I mean, I'm sure... Now that we live in this sort of, you know... There's no more scenes anymore. You and I have talked... We've talked about it. Yeah. There's no more scenes anymore because of the internet. The internet. Remember, there used to be Seattle with the Grunge, and the last scene I remember 
remember was San Diego. There was this San yeah, Diego. Yeah, they tried. They sure tried. Remember? They, they tried to put a rocket from the crypt and drive like Jehu. And, and even Blink-182 was thrown into that cargo sort of whole Casbah scene down there. Yeah. Uh, so that was the last scene I remember. And then the internet came in and there's no more scenes because we're all on the internet. So I think Daft Punk would probably would play arenas now in Iowa. Well, it's hard to say now because they got so... They're like a four-album band. They made the and one Pharrell album. and Get Lucky. And that's what I mean. Gigantic they they made the album, which was the, the, the computer processor song. Right, right. And then the second album, which I almost was going to put that when we talked about uh, classic albums with bad reviews. I found some really bad reviews for that album. I uh-huh. don't know that that crossed over to everyone, to where everyone who's listening to this would have be familiar with Discovery. Right, right. It's incredible. It's one of my favorite albums ever. The second oh. Daft Punk album is, is unbelievable. The third one, so funny. They spent like five years fine-tuning uh, Discovery. The third one, they... they Actually, we're like, yeah, we just tried something different. We uh, recorded this one in about two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) So you can pretty much forget about. There's a lot of really good ideas that do not get developed at all. They were enjoying their success, but then the fourth album is the one with Pharrell and shit like that. I wonder what when they're on Discovery and it's you know one more time and and uh, harder, faster, bigger, stronger, whatever, which became the Kanye song. Yeah, where do they play in Iowa? I'm thinking they have to. It's just they just don't bother going. Maybe they don't at all. You know, well, they famously at times have been alleged to have sent other guys in motorcycle helmets. Wow, what a great racket that oh, is. Boy. Can you imagine that, man? Oh, <laughs> Maybe so Iowa fun. gets the B team. How great is it? Because you don't have to sing. Nope. You push buttons and you mm-hmm. put a motorcycle helmet on. I mean, yeah. that's phenomenal. Yeah. You, you, you don't know. have to push the buttons. That's you don't have to push the buttons. You just stand there and go all around. All around. And people shit on that. It's I understand why I don't they... shit on anything that people like. I well, mean, they had far to... from me. And that's kind of what we're doing here. Yeah. But be it far from me. We're, I, we love music, so we'll discuss it. But what you like is what you like, and God bless. Who cares? Well, they had to make it. They had to... Uh, you and I are living proof. There's nothing special about strumming a C chord. No. I'm sure Daft Punk could do it if they really wanted right, to. If they set right. their mind to it. They had to have the vision for their music, and then they had to know how to electronically put that together. And nobody shits on Steven Spielberg because he doesn't run and jump off of cliffs he just fucking points a camera at Puts things together and then edits it all together right. but if you go to a steven spielberg movie premiere he's not going to fucking whip up a freshie while you're there no, it's exactly. not the way that works no. daft punk already made the album now you're just dancing to it and they're standing there i think it's comical when they do hit the button because they don't need to it's funny no it's it's, it's and, and but daft punk was doing this before not everybody's got two guys in a band and the dj i mean they were in that world so they were like pioneers that whole thing yeah. you know and by the way everybody is kind of doing it now uh-huh. you know djs are other new rock stars you know they are. Why learn a C chord? You don't have to. Yeah, why would you? Why would you be an idiot and spend three years learning a guitar when you just push play? We've heard every fucking guitar song. Yeah, no, we, we really feel free, feel free to try you something. Rock and roll 70 years old now. You know. Yeah. Uh, okay, another uh, one hit wonders failed follow up. Let's see what you can do with, uh, with these gentlemen here. I don't expect you to get this. I know the voice. <laughs> it's uh, it's not Johnny hates jazz, is it? No, uh, they're on the list. <laughs> Can you give me a clue? This is a little bit more similar to their signature hit. That part. Is it the Tarzan Boy? It is Tarzan Boy. That's right. (laughs) 
Baltimore was the name of Baltimore. Oh my gosh! Uh, give me, give me half a point for that. Oh my god, you get a full, you get a full Baltimore. credit for that. Yeah, where were they from? Uh, I mean, they weren't the, from Baltimore. Probably the most German part of Germany, I'm <laughs> guessing. But German, most German part of Germany, which is Florida, right? <laughs> <laughs> my, you know, it's funny. My kid knows that song. It was playing the other day, and he's like, he's six, and he's like, like he can't. He kind of has. What was the he idea. watching? Must have been on like. Well, that's uh, what I. No, it's just so fucking weird because when I was a kid, I was up to the minute. In my car, my mom uh, was like youthful and fun, and uh-huh. me and my sister, we just agreed. We listened to um, Z100, the top 40 station in New York. Sure. That's why I'm, you know, ridiculously familiar with, I have like total recall of every early 80s pop song. We don't listen to the radio anymore. Uh, we don't either. He just knows the shit that either he picks up, and I'll, you know, I'll throw him a bone and play some shit that he wants to hear, but he mainly just listens to what I want to listen to. I said, how do you know that song? Was that in a movie? And he's like, no, I've heard that song like a hundred times. No. He just heard it because it comes up in our in our lives. I've got There's Baltimore. No I've got Baltimore on my iPod. Tarzan boy comes <laughs> up in your life. What is your, your, he's six years old? Yeah. There's no way he's heard that song more than three times in his life. And has paid attention to it. It's pretty memorable. Back to your right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's sad. I, know, I'm, I'm, I actually believe him. He's just heard me play it enough times. I'm actually impressed that I got Tarzan Boy, but also depressed. That I got that. There's nothing wrong with Tarzan. But you know, hey man, I'm so tired of caring about music. Is music? God dang it, man! Once we all realize yes, that, yes, music is music, place. but is this music? Is this living on video translator? Is this translate? Uh, uh, is this uh? Uh, is that how you're supposed to pronounce trans X? Trans X, trans X, living on video. It's a follow up, right? It is. Living on video. I meant trans X. I didn't mean translators. You're everywhere that I'm not. Remember that? No. Yeah, they really mixed it up. The follow up to living on video by trans X, which Dude. people don't remember it. It sounds exactly like this. This is all K Rock. Living on video. Boom, 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 boom. Well, no, 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 Can no, you no, play this, Living on no, Video? See, this one is called Yeah, sure. This one is called Message on the Radio. Right, no, but I think no, I, but I think it's you're gonna when you hear Living on Video, you'll hear the similarities to that. They must have had one keyboard patch that they played <laughs> over and over again. Yeah, I think they may have been a little bit more of like a, an art project than Yeah, I think yeah, th- this is a college dorm project for sure. Yeah, I think. This song's they, great, though. They may have put more work into the music video. I, than, I, it's I love the riff to this. This sounds like Orgy. How does it feel? Yep. Kids, this is what we thought the future was going to sound yep, like. Yep, absolutely. Well, it is funny how certain things become... Give me life, give me Trash and other things become somewhat uh, kitschy trash, right? Is this is this worse than Gary Newman? God, it's a good question. I mean, it's, it I doesn't like have the gravitas of Gary Newman. The gravitas of cars? No, but I, I go deep into Gary Newman's catalog. He's a guy that's a one-hit wonder to everybody in the world, except you know people that know music. Down in the park, our friends, like, our our friends, friends electric. electric. I mean, uh, replicas. I mean, so many great songs from from Gary Newman. Gary Newman also is the godfather of all this, so yes. he he gets the credit. Fair enough, you know. Um, but I just love that. I that do song too. means a lot. They played the hell of that in K Rock, so that's why I kind of could got definitely it. see that. But I'm really bummed I didn't get Transax, and my friend Paul Northern's going to kill me. I said, "What I say, translator, translate." You know, my song, uh, "You're everywhere that I'm not." 
Do you know that song? No. It was big and I'm getting you everywhere. Not that one, no. See, Z100, you were Z, we were K-Rock and you were Z100-ing. Yeah. Yeah, big yeah. time, big yeah. time. Um, here's another one hit wonder. Living on Zitio. Failed follow up. Yeah, I think you'll get this one. Uh-huh. Oh, this is definitely a Buster Poindexter. Follow up to Hot, Hot, Hot. Did he just say Hot, Hot? Now this is the Weekend and Bernie soundtrack in one song. You can just sing hot, hot, hot too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> now, Buster Poindexter, yeah. successful or not? How would you argue it's not successful? Because Buster Poindexter couldn't get together right now and draw anybody or perform. I don't think anybody's begging him to do their corporate show. Okay. I think in a certain... If he was coupled together with like some other singers and do like a couple songs with a band, maybe. But no, you know what I'm saying? Not. Okay. David, no, David Johansson, lead singer in your talk. Yeah. So for, for anybody who doesn't know, Buster Point Dexter, Dexter is an alter ego developed in the 80s, probably late 70s, by uh, David Johansson. He's in the 80s. Up in New York like Dolls. Mid 80s. And um, it's incredibly successful. I'm trying to think of how to how to say this. So we've talked before about people who kind of sold their soul in the 80s. And, to you to know, cash in on their punk rock credibility and, and the that, that and people never you. never thought that we were going to be able to cash in on. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think that it, the, this was this is probably the most tasteful sellout that has ever been done. I mean, he literally well hot, said. hot, hot, and you're just and like- And he lived it. But that guy's fucking cool. So what do you mean he lived it? Well, he- Was he, he like sleeping as Buster Poindexter? No, no, well, yeah. He oh developed my. a character. Yeah, he did. He and, did. and he had the whole pompadour, and he became the whole- And he dressed up like in the old sort of like Cab Calloway, mm-hmm. and he became a big band leader. You and, could and never the, do it now because he was appropriating cultures that I'm guessing do not uh, uh, ethnically belong to David Johansson. I agree. But hot, hot, hot is sort of like something. If you go down to St. Lucia, and you're in a bar, and you're drinking- you're going to hear, me on fire, me oh, yeah. is hot, hot. You're going to hear that song. I saw a quote. He has described that song, Hot, 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 as the bane of his existence because of its persistence. Um, it's like a karaoke and wedding kind of song. Well, nobody made you record this follow-up. Dude. Yeah, right? This was all by your lonesome. And by the way, I, I, I really- But I think that's a cool thing to say when you're David Johansson. I do, but I also think it's a cheap shot. It's something you did earnestly. And if this was still making money, you'd still be Buster Poindexter. Let's be honest. He went back to the New York Dolls. Mm-hmm. You know that, right? Yes. They had a you know, reunion and all that because I, I, that's my thing. So think, taking a cheap, it's like it's like taking a cheap shot at like at like Sugar Ray. You know what I mean? Like I make fun of me, you know. Yeah. And so I kind of started the narrative of making fun of us because I do it, and no one does it better than I do. So making fun of yourself. I mean, he was earnest when he did Bust on Poindexter. I don't, he? He, I don't think he's doing it as a joke. I don't. I think he was like, I really think this is going to work. We got some great songs. We got, he hired some of the world's greatest musicians to back his joke up. That's interesting. I always assumed that it was... Because we're looking back in history through revisionist lens. You know, like, you got to understand, he came out of New York Dolls. Mm-hmm. He tried to have the David Johansson solo career. with We got to get out of this place. Remember that? He had a cover of that. It was on MTV every now and then. And then the punk rock thing had come and gone. No one was making money in that. No one knew Offspring and Green Day were going to be about five, six, seven years away and open up this whole door again. So he said, how do I cash in? Yeah. I still got a name. I think people make a label. If I have some sort of kitsch or some kind of angle, they'll sign me. Well, guess what? Buster Poindexter got signed to RCA. 
I just, I, I, I assume, and I, I, I think it's fairly evident, it was very tongue in cheek. Now, here's the thing: it's very, very hard to when people go, "Oh, so and just so I'll make some shitty song and I'll get famous and I'll make a bunch of money." You write and record yeah. that shitty song. You fucking rehearse it for months. You fucking sit on a bus for 23 hours a day so you can get up and do a song that you fucking hate. Right. It ain't cool. Even so, before you get all of the bus stuff, I yeah. dare you go to write an easy pop song right now. It's a hit. I dare you to. Because if you could, you'd be doing it right every, now. You know what I mean? There's a lot of would. money in that. So I don't know how you, I don't know what are, I have never encountered the artist who genuinely hates their music and just know, I'm a little suspect that Nickelback it looks at it as, <laughs> as more of a science project. That's all anybody's ever been able to say when they defend them. People we know who, who know Nickelback is they're like, we got to understand what he, he sounds a lot like um, Shania Twain and uh, who, she was married to the, the uh, Adam Levine. Uh, oh, oh Mutt Lang, yeah, Mutt Lang, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like there's a there's a, there's a code that we can crack to making hit music. There's a formula, and there. and, and, and they found it. And he likes tinkering with the formula and seeing how successful he can make it. Yeah. So he enjoys it in a different way, and I'm sure he enjoys the blowjobs too. Um, Not wrong with that. No, they're, they're, Eddie Vedder got into music for blowjobs. Don't kid yourself. All right. So, um, I think that David Johansson do, did like the Buster Poindexter stuff, but it was almost like how like a drag queen performs. It's this really kitschy, tongue in cheek. But he always kind was a drag queen. New York Dolls oh, were as drag queen as it gets, so that's all he knew. That's a terrific point. I don't think he went into the label and said, "I got this real funny joke. It's gonna last about five months." I'm like, yeah. I, I promise you, Buster Poindexter had somehow become some, you know, uh, stand. You know, he made a follow up record. You know, you, you know what I'm saying. And if there was, uh, and he got dropped by the label, he didn't. I don't think he went in and said, "Drop me now." I'm okay. done being Buster Poindexter. I got you. So I mean, I, I, I'm again. I'm, I'm. Hey, we're I, just talking here. Yeah, we're just talk, we're talking music. But uh, I think there was an earnesty there that you're missing with the Buster Poindexter Maybe. project. Yeah, because the the level of musician quality he brought in, the songs he was tempting, and you know he put a lot of money into production. Yeah, you know he could have just gone out there with a the track and went, "I'm so on fire." He bought a band and he brought production. It was a whole thing, you know. Yeah, it costs money to put that on. I I think as silly as hot 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 is, sometimes you can just do a cheesy thing and you can just not, and it's okay, and you cannot drown in it. And it's okay. When I watch um a um uh, like a rerun of Saturday Night Live from the late eighties, and he's on there as Buster Poindexter doing Hit the Road Jack, I think there's a cool guy who's in there who's doing a silly thing, right? Really cool. But I don't As think he, he thought it was silly. I thought, it's a, what's the coolest thing I can be doing right now? Yeah. Kind of this big band, like, ah, ha, 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 guy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, you're probably right. I, I, I may be giving him a little bit more credit than it really deserves. Do you know, you know when people really win is when they embrace their past and stop fighting it. Vanilla Ice, good friend of mine. I like the guy a lot. I, am on, I, I do a lot of touring with him. I see him a lot on the road. He fought against Ice Ice Baby forever. Fought so hard, he got Ross Robinson, who produced Corn and the Deftones, all these other men, to do a version of Ice Ice Baby, like, Ice Ice Baby! You probably know it. It was down-tuned and just this thing. He just wanted to destroy it. So much so that I think he tried to, like, hurt himself. I mean, it, he, that story's well, well taught. I want to put words in it all, But when he started embracing I Am Vanilla Ice Ice Baby, People start to love him again. He's got a big show on the DIY channel where he, he refurbishes houses. He makes great money out there playing Ice Ice Baby. Yeah. There's 10,000 people out there so happy to see him having fun playing it. You know, and so it's just, he went and embraced it. You know, love it to death. Don't don't kill it to death. Yeah, I still think he has a big future in desserts if he 
Well, he chooses makes, to embrace that. <laughs> you know what? He makes so much money. He, he, he might. Good. I Good. Mean, yeah, you know. I would be really impressed if you can name this one hit wonders failed follow up uh, single because I, I would be impressed if you could. The artist or the single? Uh, just the artist because um, I, I, maybe you'll remember the 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 original hit, but this is a this one's out of left field for a couple different reasons. Everybody's talk, talking at me. Tough one, huh? It's I'm, I'm, I've got John Parr in my head. I know it's not John Parr. It is not John Parr. He wait, is he Saint Elmo's Fire? He was Saint Elmo's Fire. He's naughty, naughty. He had a few hits, so I know it's not John Parr. Um, it, it, was he in a band before he went solo? This guy? No. It's not registering at all. Okay, let me see. Let me put in the original hit. And although it was a big hit, I think everyone has sort of uh, forgotten it. Agreed to forget it. Right. Harper, yeah, Don Johnson. That's right. Don, good one. Everybody remembers Bruce Willis, but at the height of his Miami Vice fame. Huge. Top, top five, right? Top ten at least. Uh, I didn't write it down, but yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's a big hit. Amazing that... I, I would be very impressed whoever got that follow-up because they're they're it seemed to me like someone like Patrick Swayze, she rides like the wind. Huge hit. Remember? Yeah. Um, she's like the wind. I mean she's like just the wind. Just a fool to believe. Yeah, just a fool just to, be, fool to believe. Never had I don't think he ever had a follow-up. I didn't even know even Don Johnson had a follow that didn't even didn't even register. Yeah, well the difference is Don Johnson had an, a, a, album. an album and he had a soundtrack. Swayze was on was on Dirty Dancing. Um she's amazing. Like the wind. That's why I couldn't even get a tone out of it. I could, you know, couldn't yeah. even. I was like, I, I. It sounded a lot like every '80s guy. It's like a piss poor Don Henley. Yeah, that's why I said John Parr just to throw, throw something out there. Um, how amazing that uh, there's so many, you know, actors that you know would love to be artists and want hits. Don Johnson's got a hit. Yep. And uh, Dennis Quaid does not. Dennis Quaid's out there every weekend. Kevin Costner's out there every weekend. The Bacon Brothers are out there every weekend playing music. They all tour that much? Kevin Costner's got a band called Modern West, and he's out there uh, three, four times a month playing music. Yeah. Lieutenant Dan Band, he's out there all the time playing. And Don Johnson's got himself a top 10 hit. Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise. But in, in, in his defense, they played with for the troops around the world and do a bunch of wounded warriors. I mean, they really do righteous stuff, so God bless the guy. But interesting that so many guys, like Dennis Quaid is out there. He fancies himself a musician. He was in a Bonnie Raitt video. Remember that one? He was in the video. No, I know that he takes his music very, oh, he's very, very seriously. Oh, very serious. And Don Johnson said, yeah, I took a shot. I got a, got a top 10 hit. How you doing, Dennis? The, the Wikipedia <laughs> is so funny because he's like, and whatever, I'm... You know, it's it's passable 80s pop. There were worse songs that were hits. Without a doubt. But he was just like, it was so important to me, the integrity of the thing. You know, I let them know that if at any moment it, 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 I felt like the project wasn't up to, you know, superstar standard, standards, I, I don't care if we're about to go to press with this thing. I will fucking walk away. And it was like, well, oh. I appreciate that, though, because Don Johnson at that point was Don Johnson. You know what I mean? He was For about three months. He was. I wonder who wrote that song. 
I wonder if Desmond Child had anything to do with it. Richard Marks. Isn't that a Desmond Child all over? Do you, have you ever dealt with Richard Marks? Have you ever talked to him? Any, any no, comments? I would love to. I he, he's a great guy. I think you'd love him. He, I bet he, I would. He speaks music like this. He's a fun guy, and I think he'd be a great guy to have in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I would happily talk to Richard Marks. Yeah. I, and I, I guess as a, as a, as a, as a never was, I, I love the people who... Um, wrote for people for a long time and oh, yeah. managed to break through and, oh, yeah. and have hits on their own. And, and Mark's had three or four to where he's... We all know there's... The difference between one and zero is the biggest difference that gigantic. there possibly can be. But then uh, when you get up to that, way, you got Don't Mean Nothing... Uh, Satisfied. Right, okay, right Here Waiting. Too. Right Here Waiting. And there's one... There, yeah, yeah. We're missing a... I mean, so he's got seven he's got, songs you know. He's got hits, yeah. Without even thinking twice about it. And okay. they were number ones, too. Gigantic. I have a weird feeling that Jay, he married. Uh, forgive me for uh, he married Daisy Fuentes. That's right. Fun fun fact. Yeah, Richard Marks won in so many different he facets he, of life. He wins, you know, He wins in life. Um, yeah, I, I have a feeling that this may well have even been one of those K Rock songs to which you hit me with sometimes your refer. Stick. Oh, we're going Kaja Goo Goo, aren't we? <laughs> yes. Bass, Nick Beggs on bass. It's that bass. Enjoy the dance moves. Was this the follow-up follow-up? I am pretty sure it was. This is Kajagugu. It's Kajagugu. Which is too shy. Too shy fame. Too shy, shy. Hush, hush. Don't look him up. Nick Beggs, who was a bass player in that band, another underrated bass player, teaches bass theory. Okay. In the UK. So they had had a talented uh, bass player named Nick because they were discovered or signed by Duran Duran. I believe you're correct. And that's the base connection. Just shows you how if you if you put that sort of eighties sheen or sheath over something, you know, you, you, you're losing. I mean, the musicality of that band was something special. Do you remember that band that that show on VH1 called uh, Bands Reunited? Yeah. And do you remember they tried to go get Kajugu back together? Do you no. remember that one? It was no, a great I one. I never really watched that. it. I know the extreme one. Everybody always said that the whole band went to Nuno's door and banged on the door. And <laughs> he wouldn't answer. open the door. <laughs> <laughs> but they got they got they got Kajugu back together. They played. Uh, they kind of get they try to get Frankie goes to Hollywood back together, and Holly wasn't having it. He, they, he, he was like, I, "I do fine on my own, thank you." That's funny. Ooh, to be uh and hang on now were uh, the other singles from Kajagugu's debut album, White Feathers, I think in that order. So that would actually so that be would the have proper been the fo- follow-up. Lamal had a, a hit on him. Lamal, who was the lead singer of Kajagugu, had a hit by himself with the uh, first single from the soundtrack of Never Ending Story. I have no uh, idea. You I have, uh, people I have, of my age I have I'm absolutely about. no idea what you're talking about. I know, about. and I'll, I'll stop now as I'm staring at you. Nothing like someone singing at you while you're looking away while I'm waiting for you to connect with me again. No. It's like when you play your music for people. Oh, shit. Oh, here we go. No. Yeah, that is it. Yeah, no, no, this is how we're going to end the show. I was totally going to play This is the theme song from NeverEnding Story. Listen to it. Unfortunately, yes, I Yes, you do. You're trying. You're trying. That's not, not the way years work. I cannot not listen to it. I know. I love this shit. Oh, you know it. Dude, so I'm going to end the show with this. Oh, go, go, go. Yeah. Oh, God. God, you're a good actor, man. Show's over? <laughs> Who's the female singer? I think she was popular, too. She was in, like, T-Pow or something. Is that how you say it? I thought yeah. it was T-Pow. Whatever you do. Poor man's rock set? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
tell you a fun fact about this song? Please. Fades in and fades out. I didn't know that. Never ending. Wow. <laughs> and I thought you'd even know this song. <laughs> that is so great. How many songs fade in and ever? Not a whole. Do you know another one? Songs that fade in? Fade in. Oh, that happens. I got one. Um, and I didn't invent that. Speaking of songs that fade in, we got to go. It goes by so fast, Holly. I, know, I mean, I come know. on, man. I'm just getting warmed up. I know. I feel the same way. Uh, at Mark underscore McGrath. MarkMcGrath.com. And uh, Mark McGrath's 120 90s on 9. 90s on 9 every weekend. Boom. Thank you, Mark.